0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Get Informed podcast with me, your host, Tom. And today we're going to be talking about Stoic philosophy and how we can actually apply this way of thinking to our lives in an effort to kind of better ourselves. So, to help us with this huge task, I'm joined with Anderson Silver. What's going on, man? Hey, Tom, it's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm really ready to dig into this. So, I want to first learn a little bit more about your background personally and how did you find your way into philosophy?
1: Um, so my background is, um, you know, I'm your North American capitalist white dream. I crushed it in school, got my CPA out of school, um, did a few more certifications just for good measure to have 12 letters after my name on my business card. Uh, I got the uh, executive level job, six figure salary, family, kids, two dogs, check, 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 check. And about 10 years ago uh, is when I kind of took inventory of my life and I'm like, okay, here I am. I have everything that society told me I should have, and I should strive for, and yet I still feel as empty as I did when I started this journey. So I should be at the finish line. I still haven't accomplished anything. And so at that point, I started kind of a self-education, if you will. And I, I took a look at anything and everything that could offer some guidance for life. I think I think your listeners will understand. We all ask these same existential questions like, why am I here uh, you know, a third of my life has gone by. What have I accomplished? Have I accomplished anything that I'm proud of? Is there something else I should be doing? Am I wasting my time? And um, by just sheer dumb luck, I stumbled upon uh, this thing called Stoicism, and um, it's it's been a journey since.
0: Awesome. I mean, honestly, I wasn't really too informed on Stoicism itself, particularly. Although I am interested in quite a different uh, variety of philosophies that are out there, but. Stoicism seems to be this like nice neutral balance. It's just, I believe it's a focus of rationality, right? Just trying to stay focused on the present moment and just not really being faltered by the things that we can't control. And that's one thing that we as humans tend to have a big problem, right? With things that we can't control.
1: Yeah, and and to your point, you know, um, I looked uh, briefly at religion. It wasn't for me. Uh, I looked into philosophy and philosophy started to make a lot of sense. Uh, because the sciences, you know, only offers so many answers It only offers answers in the, in the physical realm. But, you know, there's there, there's more to it than just um, the mechanical side of it. And so philosophy was answering that question. Uh, and I read all the, you know, the Enlightenments and then the the modernists and, you know, a uh, big fan of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, René Descartes, you know, the godfather of modern philosophy. And and you know I was interested in the ancients. Of course, I started you know of course I started with Plato and Aristotle because those are the names you hear. Socrates, the granddaddy. Um, And one thing that interests me about ancient philosophy, you know, these guys are writing stuff three thousand years ago, and I'm like, this sounds just like me. Like I'm thinking the exact same thing. Okay, he he uses fancier words, but this is how I feel. So um, when I did stumble onto uh, Stoicism, what I recognized is a lot of Stoic doctrine exists in modern philosophy in almost all branches of modern day philosophy. In fact, the core of Stoicism can be found in pretty much anyone's writings, which was very interesting. Uh, And and again, to your point, I think that speaks to the fact that Stoicism is very kind of in the middle of the spectrum. Uh, What can we absolutely agree on without really having much debate over it? And let's focus on that because life's too short to debate on stuff that doesn't impact my life right here and right now. It could be interesting as a form of entertainment, but doesn't help me live a better life. And I think that's also why stoicism has stood the test of time, because if we look at the the ancient Hellenic philosophies of the the, four major Hellenic philosophies, which were uh, cynicism, stoicism, epicureanism, and, and skepticism, stoicism is the only one that still has a footprint today. Now, is that because there were Stoic doctrines embedded in Christianity due to, you know, Stoicism was very uh, um, in control while Christianity was taking over uh, the Roman Empire? Or is it because it just makes sense? Uh, and as I study it, I, I believe it's because it just makes sense. Uh, and that's why it finds its way into everything from religion to philosophy to everyday life.
0: Exactly. it's And it's, it's really deeply rooted. And it's, I find it so funny that... For something that has a firm footing in so many different fields and um, disciplines, I feel like it is the least studied, the least cared about for some strange reason. Personally, when I meet people, I always, you know, I don't I don't know anyone who really reads philosophy besides my friend Layton, who's been on the podcast with me. But really, really quick, one thing that I saw of uh, what is philosophy? And I came across this quote by um Epictetus. I said his name right.
1: Yeah, that's that's right.
0: So he says, philosophy does not promise to secure anything external for humans, otherwise it would be admitting something that lies beyond its proper subject matter. For just as wood is the material of the carpenter, bronze that of the statuary, so each individual's life is the material of the art of living. And when I read that, I really thought like, that's really the core of like what Stoicism's about. It's about this you know, I don't want to take the thunder, but this duality, right? Within, right? It's like your your internal self and your external self and what you can control. You can control that internal self. And that's truly what philosophy is. How can we be better in turn? How can we have the internal person within us outshine that external, you know, uh, problematic character, that ego, those, those, all these issues that we face. So that's a little bit of just what philosophy really is and kind of where we're going to be going in that direction. But Stoicism is something completely different for the most part. And it starts in Athens by uh, Zeno of uh, Citium, right? And it comes from the Stoa Pukail. Yeah. I said that right? Awesome. Yeah. And it just basically means painted porch. And it was just an open market in Athens where all the Stoics would meet and teach philosophy. So really basic name, really interesting way to kind of just publicly teach people about things, have open conversations and dialogues to better educate each other. Um, Ultimately just being, um, it's a type of virtue ethics. So do you wanna maybe just talk a little bit more about that?
1: Sure, Uh, before we get into it, let me just touch upon, you said a few good things, you covered a lot of ground there. Um, So as far as it not being studied, it's because stoicism at the core of it is very simple and very straightforward. It's not something that requires time to study. It's a practical philosophy where it, you just apply it. I think that's why it's not really studied that much. Um, it is, however, very uh, 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 predominant in modern-day psychology in the form of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is entirely based on Stoicism and was developed in the '70s by two, two Stoic um, uh, psychologists. Um, and uh, you know, philosophy—the word itself comes from the ancient Greek word "philosophia," which means the pursuit of wisdom. But Uh, When it came about back in, you know, uh, the days of Thales, um, who's, you know, crowned as the first philosopher ever, for some reason, even though we know there were some before him, Uh, it was philosophy came about as a a guide to life, basically. So when there were people uh, that were sitting around uh, you know, when after the agricultural revolution, there were certain people that didn't have to work for food or rather work the land for food. And these people that didn't have to work the land for food ended up being people like educators and, and uh, uh, go- governing people and etc. And one, one type of people that emerged are philosophers who were trying to give guidance on how to live a good life. Because when you have time to sit around and look up at the stars and wonder, what am I doing here? What's right? What's wrong? Uh, these are the questions that philosophy tries to answer. Um, which brings us to virtue ethics. So when we talk about ethics, what's right and what's wrong, um, all ethical discussions fall into one of three categories, okay? We're talking about either deontology, which is rules, consequentialism, which is um, uh, you make decisions based on the greater good, or virtue ethics. So deontology is, uh, let's start with consequentialism. Consequentialism is, you know, for the Star Trek fans out there, the Vulcan uh, I forget exactly what it is, but the greater over uh, the many over the few or whatever. I, I don't want to butcher uh, Lieutenant Spock's uh, uh, quote, but uh, it totally makes sense, right? You, you think about the greater good uh, and you make decisions accordingly. In practice, however, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because one, we have emotions. It's very hard for us to give up a loved one to save the lives of two other people right? Logically, you should let your loved one die to save those two people, but we can. And uh, the other thing is, we don't know how things work out. You never know how things work out. It might be, you know, you might do X and then immediately something good happens, but that might be the beginning of a sequence of events. That's the worst thing that could have, possibly, that could have happened possibly. And a year down the line, you look back and you're like, I made the wrong decision. So, you know, consequentialism makes sense, doesn't work in, in application deontology comes into play. So they say, okay, since we can't really you know, take emotions out of it, and we don't know what the future is to kind of be able to disassociate uh, our, our guilt from this, let's make some rules. Let's get the smartest people to sit down and write rules. If this happens, then you do that. If this happens, then you do that. If everyone follows the rules, like a social contract, then no matter what the consequences, at least we try to do good. Verbatim makes sense. Again, it doesn't work in practice because we don't like following rules. Uh, anyone who signed a code of ethics at a company knows this. If you've seen someone swipe a pen from work, did you report them to your bosses? No, but you're supposed to, right? This is just one silly example. Or take religion. Religion is a form of deontology. If you follow the doctrines and your religion, your respective religion, you're supposed to be good. Except how many people have been killed over, uh a religion how many people just wear a cross around their neck yet don't do anything else? And then they self-identify as I'm a good person. So again, it doesn't work. So what do we do to be able to put our head down on our pillow at night and feel good about ourselves? Uh, Enter virtue ethics. Virtue ethics basically puts the onus of ethical decisions entirely on the subject. Now, at first you say, well, hold on a minute. How can that make me feel better if all of a sudden all of this burden is on my shoulders? Uh, It's specifically because it's on your shoulders. Now there's no more blaming the rules or I didn't know or whatever. You are given the opportunity to make the right choice. And you make the right choice, not because you're avoiding punishment, not because you want to get into heaven, you're making the right choice because it's the right thing to do, period. And that is what Stoicism is built around. The philosophy itself, you know, when I said it's a practical philosophy to apply in your day to day, it quite literally boils down to making the right choice in the moment and then you move on. You don't worry about results, because results are not in your control, your intention is in your control. You focus on your intention, and everything else you forget about. You move on to the next present moment and focus on making the best decision you can.
0: So that's kind of the thing. That's one thing that a lot of people tend to forget. We're we're always planning ahead. Everyone's planning. Okay, I'm going to graduate college um, in this on um, you know in two years. I'm going to get married in four years. I'm going to have a kid in six years. And you just you, everyone's whole life seems to be planned out. And then all of a sudden, some. One thing, one thing wedges itself right in your path and oops that gets delayed three years. And you know, and then people get worried by this, they get upset and it tears them apart and they wonder why. And it's this thing, we are attributing these, these emotions to we're we're expecting things to work out in our favor. We're expecting things to go the way we planned, but unfortunately, a lot of people are dealt shitty hands. And ultimately what stoicism, I guess, is doing is telling us that, hey, play that hand. Play that hand as best as you can
1: right? Right. Uh, but I'm going cha- to change the words a little bit. Uh, it's not so much that you play the hand as best as you can. It's that th- that's all you can. There's there's only one reality. Okay. Wishing for something to go differently is a, a dream, a, a fake construct of your own imagination. And, you know, think about what we do here. You, you know, we make plans, which is a good thing to do. You should have a roadmap. And then things don't work out according to your plan. And then we compare reality, the only reality that we exist in, to this fictitious imagination in our mind of how we wish things would would go. And then we have the audacity to be upset over our reality and be like, life is so unfair. No, life's not unfair. You're just imagining stuff. And you're saying just because my reality, uh, just because uh, my objective reality doesn't meet my my subjective reality, life must be unfair. So it's not a matter of dealing the hand you're dealt as best as you can. It it doesn't matter. It, it's not even about your hand. It's about what you're doing, what decisions you're making. Uh, so so that that's kind of the, the 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 approach. Uh, and and this is what we mean by you know we don't worry about externals because what fate deals, uh, what fate hand deals me, like whether I have, where I live in the world, what kind of job I have, how much money I have, my health, my family, do I, am I alone? Am I with people? All of this stuff. It's not inside my brain making me make decisions. Only I am inside my brain making decisions. And, and, and that's what we try to focus on.
0: Exactly. And, and what, well, cause we do tend to get, a lot of people tend to get caught up in dreams or just their passions and whatnot. But so I think the one key word here would be rationality, right? Being rational within that present moment, because how many, how many times have you been on a, let's say you're on a diet and you're like, you know, it's the weekend. I'm going to just, you know, (laughs) I'm going to just have that extra piece of cake. And realistically, that's the wrong, that's the wrong choice, right? You're, you're eating something that's actually not good for your body, but you know, in your, but you rash you say, oh, or I'll start again on Monday and, you know, the weekend doesn't matter. And even that's a small example, but that's, that's, that's really big, right? Because within you, you know, eating that slice of cake is wrong. You know, it's wrong given your yeah. situation, your diet that you chose to do. And, uh, Zeno, he, he states that, uh, rationality is the only consistently good thing as it can help us tell when things are good or bad. So it's like this, uh, it's this infallible kind of, uh, judge within ourselves and because we know when things are bad you know when you're gonna you you know when you're shoplifting something you know that's the wrong thing to do and you ignore that feeling or when you bring when you call someone a a terrible name or a slur you know in your heart in your whatever internal being exists you know that's wrong but you do it and and here's go ahead
1: here's what's happening when we look at the duality within and, and for the benefit of your listeners the duality within we're referring to The physical body and its brain that has its built-in survival mechanisms, which includes emotions and anxieties, uh, and and, um, the rational mind, which which is the intelligent, logical, calculating mind, all right? And and even though the words sound similar, there is a monumental difference between rationality and rationalizing. So when you rationalize a bad behavior, uh, to your point, we know what's wrong. We know it. But when we rationalize it, what we're doing, we're still using our rational mind, but we're trying to appease the body's mind so that we don't feel uh, guilt and anxiety over it. Um, What we want to do is use the rational mind at the beginning of the decision-making process and make the right decision.
0: So now, so we'll, we'll do, we'll break stoicism down a little bit more and we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, some some modern examples of stoicism and like you were just saying we were uh just catholicism for example is a has a lot of stoic doctrine within it and it's just really interesting to see how many different fields it really does play itself so what are some like maybe modern examples of stoic philosophy or doctrine being kind of just ingrained in just everyday things that we do or think or follow
1: well, like I said, at the beginning of the show, you'd be surprised. It's a little bit everywhere. It's in, a, like, a, a CTB is huge on it, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, excuse me. Um, the, the the Christian doctrine, you know, and, and so many stoics became, like, uh, Augustus became Saint Augustine that wrote, you know, I'm not sure exactly which, which he wrote, whatever. But um, uh, during the time, let's not forget when, when Christianity was taken over in the Roman Empire, uh, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, around 170, 180 uh, uh, AD, he was, you know, the Emperor of Rome. So, uh, the Stoic doctrines were known everywhere. Uh, but to get back to modern days, um, you, you see them a little bit. You see them, you know, business leaders are using them. A lot of military leaders today, uh, you know, generals in the U.S. military uh, refer to Stoicism. Uh, you you kind of find it sprinkled a little bit everywhere. Oh, business! Oh my God, Silicon Valley is huge on Stoicism. They are, they're like. I, I don't want to use swear words here, but they're like super into stoicism. Um, and a lot of it's it's very often because I do some mentorship as well, where I meet with people. We do video chats, you know, once every two weeks or so, and I help them in their progression. And through podcasts, I discuss those with people that are being introduced into it. Too. And one of the things I hear so often is, man, I had no idea that I had stoic tendencies, you know, uh, it, yeah, we all do, because fundamentally, we all just want to be good people, live a good life, and avoid pain. And Stoicism is just at the core of all of this. There's no fluff. There's no extra bits that you have to just have blind faith and blind belief in. And, and this is why you have business people, our, uh, you know, uh, military personnel. Uh, I have devoutly religious friends, both uh, uh, Christian and Muslim, that are Stoics. Um, you know, agnostic Stoics, Stoicism just fits anywhere and everywhere, uh, and I think again it speaks to why it's stood the test of time because it
0: doesn't clash with anything. Exactly, I think, and it just kind of blends in, finds its way, and it's just a, a way of just self-reflecting. And I know I've just noticed I when you said the Stoic tendencies that we tend to have, and I've always found myself to be people always told me they're like Tom, you're too rational, like you you think you overthink and you know, I've as I've been doing my research just on stoicism, just that's kind of the tendency of stoicism itself. Where when you're like you're being cautious before you go in, you know, it would be opposite of like the term everyone says, like YOLO, right? You know, you only live once, you know, go do something crazy. Like, for example, bungee jumping is something I've never done. And because I think I'm like, what if I, what if it snaps, you know what I mean? And it, and it's like, it, it's like, or even like, uh, I don't like planes, you know, what if it's like the one plane that goes down? Like, I, I always think about like, even it, it maybe it may seem irrational to some people like, oh, you know how many you know how many car accidents there are that, you know, there are play accidents or whatever stupid joke that people always make. But that's how I've always been, just very cautious. I always think out every, before I make a decision, I always think like, what is the worst possible outcome that can happen from this decision I'm making in this moment? And I think that's a little bit of an ode to where stoicism is lying. And what we could do is we'll push a little bit forward to the idea of like living a virtuous life and just trying to live virtuously and then we'll we'll dig a little bit into your user's manual and we'll talk a little bit we'll talk about how you describe stoicism and get that really fleshed out for us normies that don't really read on reading this stuff and don't even know what we're talking about quite frankly so go ahead
1: uh right so living virtuously um First, let's define what virtue is. I mean, it, it has two definitions. There's the um, there's the noun. You know, when we talk about uh, even in Stoicism, we have the four cardinal virtues: uh, the virtue of prudence, what ought and ought not be sought, which is what you were referring to with the bungee jumping in the plains; uh, uh, the virtue of um, uh, temperance, what ought and ought not be wanted; the virtue of strength, what ought and not ought not be uh, tolerated; and the virtue of justice, what ought and ought not be. Uh, Distributed. Uh, But when we say Stoicism is a matter of trying to live a virtuous life, uh, what we mean is so if you go through the progression of Stoicism, you come to the logical conclusion that the pursuit of money and material goods is not good. If you happen to have them, I mean, fine, you're not going to give them up. Uh, The cynics, conversely, would give it all up. Epicureans don't want any of that either. The Stoics, they don't care, which is why we had Stoics that were slaves and we had Stoics that were, you know, emperors, uh, richest statesmen in all of Rome, Seneca. Um, b- virtue, uh, again, as we go through the progression of the study of Stoicism, we recognize that the only thing worth doing is helping our fellow human beings, working towards the betterment of humanity. And so in Stoicism, when we say virtue, It literally refers to working towards the betterment of humanity and uh, everything is built around that. Now, why towards the betterment of humanity? Uh, You can spend a whole podcast just on that. But uh, one example is, uh, you know, if we pursue money, if I pursue money and I make one unit of money and then I give that one unit to someone else to be nice, right? I've donated that one unit of money. Great. But with all that time, I've only transferred one unit of something. But if I pursue uh, knowledge, okay, I, I attain one unit of knowledge, and I share this with people to help them. Then we've effectively doubled our knowledge in the world, and then they share it with someone, and we've quadrupled it. So uh, to, to perpetuity. Uh, and the other reason is we're social animals with a capacity for reason. Uh, we're social animals. We're pack animals, like wolves. You know, we 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 look at us. We're so weak. You know, you hit this body in the wrong place hard enough, and you'll drop dead. We have become the apex predator not because we're you know physically badasses. We're just we have strength in numbers, and we're able to coordinate a large number of numbers given our higher capacity, our higher cognitive capacities. Um, and so, if I if I'm a social, if I recognize I'm a social animal, I recognize uh, that what's good for others is good for me. So I can use my capacity for reason. I can choose to use my capacity for reason, uh, and it's important that we say capacity for reason. Uh, You just need to look at what's happening in the States to see that we don't always use our capacity. Just because we have it doesn't mean we're using it. Uh, But I can use this capacity for a reason to champion and cheer for other people as well as for myself. Because, again, if I improve myself, I'm being a better person. I'm becoming a better person. I can help the world become a better place. So it's not just – Stoicism is not about being altruistic or benevolent only – Uh, we're not giving ourselves up, Uh, we're just recognizing, okay, I got to, I got to cake up my knowledge. But I got to help others. But to help others, I got to cake up my knowledge even more. So it's like this, uh, you know, uh, and and again, this is why I think it works for everyone. It doesn't say you have to think only about yourself, capitalism, it doesn't say you only have to think about everybody else, uh, you know, uh, really hardcore religious doctrine, let's say, it's kind of in the middle, it recognizes that there's two sides to this. So so that's what we mean.
0: Exactly. And I think that's a really great way to kind of put things together. So we've looked at all these different ways. We've looked at ethics. We looked at uh, virtue. And there's another term. So from your books, I I had the pleasure of reading both of your books. Um, The first one, uh, your user's manual. There's a lot of interesting stuff there, as well as it just being very accessible for people who don't read philosophy and um there's just a couple i definitely want to go through it a little bit because uh, your ideas are just absolutely great and i want to talk about becoming a philosopher king and i thought that example was just it's just outstanding and the way you outline it it's, it's really and then especially with the marcus aurelius and the way and you go into real great detail with the way that he sees um like the, the he was um considered the last good emperor and he had his three golden rules of thought and just kind of like going down that process how did how did these uh stoics just like um marcus kind of like become this philosopher king how do you what first of all what is this philosopher king
1: okay so just to differentiate uh, marcus Aurelius was an emperor and he was a philosopher but he's not a philosopher king when we say philosopher king we're talking about a sage a sage is someone that can be virtuous all the time all right uh which is impossible Uh, someone can become a sage as likely as they can, you know, levitate through meditation. It just, it can't happen. Why? Because as pure as our rationality and our conscious mind is, it exists in these really, you know, uh, uh, crappy bodies with, with a defense mechanism of emotions and anxieties and anger and fear and stuff that, look, it helped us survive in the past. Let's not kid ourselves. Anger was a necessary tool to survive the violence of the past. But we don't need that today anymore. And so, uh, as much as uh, as pure as we are, we exist in these fallible bodies, which is why we could absolutely never be 100% uh, virtuous. Look, even the Dalai Lama—you know—he's he's the spiritual uh, kingpin today. You know, he's the emotionally, spiritually most mature person in the world. He's 87 or 88, and yet he still spends two and a half hours every morning meditating, studying. And every night he ends his day with, again, two, three hours of meditation and studying just to be able to spend a few hours straight being uh, clear-minded and interacting with others. And he admits with his own admission, he still gets upset. We can't change this. So the philosopher king is the target, like the horizon. But no matter how fast you run, you can never get to the horizon. But that is the target. Just because we can't get there doesn't mean we shouldn't aim for it. Um, In Stoicism, we have this, uh, the the Stoic Drowning Man, we have this, uh, we use a lot of imagery because we are uh, beings that, you know, see things, everything is with images, right? Um, So the Stoic Drowning Man goes a little something like this, all of humanity is in this murky water and we're all drowning, okay? Uh, Some people are upside down, some people are facing up, some people are just floating, some are higher, some are lower in this murky water. And the goal is to swim to the top of this water to breathe the fresh air. And if you can get to the top and breathe the fresh air, then you're a sage. You can be virtuous all the time, uh, but you can never get there. And why is this imagery important? It's because it's important for us to remember. Um, even if someone's acting in a very base way, in a very decrepit way, um, You know, I've been uh, accosted verbally many times, physically uh, once where I just had zero response in, in, in an angry way because I recognize I'm drowning. I'm just as discrep- decrepit as these people. Uh, I just happen to know a little bit more. And I need to use that knowledge to lead by example. So it's a good reminder to us that we're fallible. We suck just as bad as everyone before us has sucked and after us is going to suck. But we just got to try and get a little bit better because while well, we're here, I got to use my consciousness for something. This is what I want to use it for.
0: Definitely. And it's, it's, it's you're right. Because it, it's also almost, uh, it's like that one quote that you always see in like school classrooms. It's like, shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you'll be among the stars, kind of thing. Um, so you're right. It's, you, we have to have this goal. It's, it's almost, it's impossible. We are flawed. Humanity is flawed. It just is. There's just so many negative aspects to us. I mean, just, Look look around you during this pandemic, especially in America. I know you're in Canada, but here in America, we have people that simply refuse to wear masks or to, you know, uh, Thanksgiving's coming up next week, for example. And my mom just kindly asked my cousin, my few cousins that wanted to come get tested this week so that, you know, you come up, no problem. Because my, my mom's a nurse, you know, and she's also vulnerable for um, the illness. So just ask nicely. And then they're like, you know what, if it's too much, if it's too, I, I just got tested last week, but if it's a big deal, I just won't go. And I just find it very shocking that people are just so inconsiderate, even if they're family members, just inconsiderate of other human life, that they're just not willing to wear a mask or follow simple precautions so that other people can be okay. And this is like that. That's why we have to all strive and lead, like you said, by example, out of this murky water. Hopefully, people will eventually notice, like, you know what? Now I see why he's doing that. I'm gonna try to help my fellow citizens or and it doesn't it doesn't have to be just American, just all over the world. this whole global it's a global pandemic. Everybody is in this murky water together. yet there are a ton of people that don't give a shit. So I think that's just like kind of a very relevant modern example of this idea of uh, how we can try to achieve this greater level of just participation and just I guess um, tranquility, I guess for ourselves true inner peace and, you know, outer peace for everybody else. So um, with that, I do want to move on to Marcus Aurelius and his three golden rules of thought, because I think they're super critical.
1: So uh, Marcus Aurelius, the last good emperor, why do we call him the last good emperor? It's actually a historical thing, right? The, the, um, The Antoninus era. Uh, there were five emperors that were deemed to be uh, good, really awesome leaders. And, and most historians will agree today that if there's one period of time you have to pick where the leadership of the the, the empire country world was in the most favor of the interest of the population, it would be that era. Um, and, and Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher. Uh, one of the book's Uh, One of the uh, golden books uh, for for Stoicism that survives today is called Meditations. Uh, It it was his journal, right? As Stoics, we believe that journaling is our our form of meditation. It's not your kind of Zen, Zenful Buddhist meditation. Um, And, you know, those hundred and some odd pages of uh, golden nuggets is a third of kind of what drives stoicism today. The other one being Epictetus's work, which is again, just a hundred pages or so, uh, which is why I shamelessly emulated my books after theirs. Uh, no fluff, straight to the point, uh, you know, close to a hundred pages as possible, uh, accessible jargon, just to take it, put into, you know, if I can take a footnote here, when we say philosophy today, we think about, you know, academics with uh, uh, you know, leather elbow patches and, and pipes, you know, arguing about semantics and this, that, and the other. Um, there is a place for that. I'm not interested in that. So when I consider myself a philosopher, it's not because I'm an academic. It's because I actively practice philosophy in, in the way I live my life for a tranquil and purposeful life. Um, and so um, uh, to get back to Marcus Aurelius, uh, uh, he was a Stoic philosopher uh, mainly to help him govern the Antoninus era. They're they're famous also for having two leaders, so that one never kind of his head never got too big on his shoulders. Uh, uh, ironically, Marcus led alone for most of his reign because uh, uh, his his co his brother is, He was adopted, by the way, Marcus Aurelius, which is interesting. Um, his brother died with the uh, Antoninus plague, um, and uh, when he left the throne. Uh, he was supposed to leave it to two people, but all his kids died from the plague. And he ended up having to leave the throne to Commodus, who was notoriously in the top three list of worst emperors ever, which is ironic. Um, but uh, so so, what did Marcus do to be a good leader? One of the things was his three golden rules of thought uh, because he recognized that this uh, this body, this autopilot, if he lets it take over, uh, it's very easy to to go down that hedonic treadmill especially when you're an emperor, you know, you have everything, you have access to everything, right? And one of his uh, very famous quotes that people don't understand is, uh, it's possible to live a good life, even in a palace. And at first light, people say, well, of course, you can live a good life in a palace, man. You've got everything you need. But then see, that's not the point. It's despite having all these distractions, you can still live a good life. And so he was very disciplined. And as far as uh, making decisions is concerned, uh, he recognized this, uh, he, he knew there were such things as heuristics before we we knew they existed today you know modern sciences know uh, heuristics exist heuristics are basically uh, the easiest way to explain it it's shortcuts in your brain uh to help it make quick decisions it's what the autopilot uses because your rational mind uses a much longer complex sequence of uh neurons to make decisions uh the heuristics just goes straight to uh, example of heuristics uh something's thrown at you you're gonna flinch everybody everybody flinches right uh you'll close your eyes and turn your head not because we all went to school and went through a boot camp of how to flinch it's just built in that is a heuristic okay uh, and one of these heuristics it's called the autonomous loop which is um uh, the most common one uh, let's say you're at a party, and uh, you're having a conversation with someone, then you hear a commotion, a kerfuffle on the other side of the room. No matter how polite you're being, and you might try and stare the person still in the eye to pretend like you're listening to them, but your ears are like, oh, something's happening over there, what's going on? You know, a world star. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, that's the autonomous loop. It's very dangerous. It takes over very quickly, right? And so he knew that exists and he would actively work towards fighting it. Uh, how? Just like muscle training, you train a little bit at a time, uh, a, a little exercise at a time, uh, and eventually you're able to do it in more complex circumstances. Uh, the other thing was uh, view things objectively through uh, others' eyes. This is, you know, we'd we we we'd all, well, that's not true. Some of us don't even try to think through other people's eyes. And those of us that do think we we look at things objectively really don't. You no, know, We'd like to think we do, but we don't, and so he would spend a lot of time meditating, i.e., writing uh, a granular pro and cons list, if you will. You know, we do pro and cons lists for ourselves, um, but he would do a much granular one for decision making processes, which is why, uh, for the most part, he was seen as being a very fair leader. Um, and the other thing, uh, routinely declutter the mind because our brains. It's just a pile of junk in there, you know, and it's just so loud. There's so much going on. Uh, you know, someone's listening to this podcast right now. I guarantee you they're also thinking about, ah, I got to What am I going to do for dinner tonight? Ah, I got to I go, well, look at this jag off how we switching lanes. Can you believe this? Yeah. So it's very, very cluttered. And at the end of the day, um, so, you know, I journal throughout the day, morning, noon, and at night, also ad hoc. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's important to declutter one's mind to just it's just a mental regurgitation of what you're feeling and thinking, because when you get it down on paper, uh, you do feel a little lighter. It's not like, oh, I feel great now. No, you're still going to feel crappy if you're feeling crappy. But it's like when you take a deep breath and you exhale, you just feel a little bit better. So uh, by doing those three mental exercises, he was able to be a much more competent leader if you will um if we look at the leadership today uh in the in a lot of countries not just the states but the states is just the most obvious <laughs> example because yes uh you know like childishness like anger hissy fits like i kid are you kidding me dog you're you're leading people you're supposed to lead people not not you know uh so anyways, uh, so that's how he was able to kind of stay on top of the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's too bad he wasn't able to pass it on to posterity because Commodus had, you know, no interest in in taking these up. He he even gave up his troops in Germania, you know, like he was just, he didn't care about anything. He just wanted to go back home and party. So uh, unfortunately, that's where that left.
0: Yeah. When I was doing actually a lot of the like um, like Roman era research of Stoic philosophy, there was actually a couple of rulers who were actually very strictly against it. And would actually ref- like refute and destroy uh, uh, philosophical writings and teachings and prevent it. So there was actually like a there was actually a bit of a pushback towards this idea, right?
1: Huge, not a bit, huge. So uh, because again, uh, Stoics believe we have to work towards the betterment of humanity. Uh, uh, unlike Epicureans, who just wanted to go live in a commune, and Cynics, who just wanted to be like, I want nothing to do with nothing because all is for nothing. Uh, Stoics chose to take up uh, political. Uh, um, positions to help people. Um, Marcus Aurelius himself, yeah, th- there were still slaves and women couldn't vote at his time, but he had like the most audacious, uh, uh, scandalizing uh, reforms for slaves and women in his empire. He wanted to better things. Uh, uh, before him, how many stoics were killed, executed, uh, exiled, Right um uh cato who opposed caesar he was a stoic you know so um stoics definitely uh, had a lot of pushback um but you know they were willing to put everything on the line including their lives uh, uh to help people seneca lost his fortune uh and was exiled you know and he was legit one of the richest guys in all of rome and he just you know just Nero was like nah you go now he was like okay fine and he left everything behind and and continued writing in exile he was brought back later on and then he was asked to commit suicide so all sorts of crazy stuff now why were the rulers against philosophy because philosophy is very egalitarian now if you're an emperor like uh, Commodus Commodus was very anti philosophy as well um you know you don't want any other stuff if if you want to if you want to play your fiddle and watch Rome burn you don't want to hear any ethical you know conundrums or discussions so Uh, And again, I think this is why there were the five good emperors during the Antoninus era, because those five embraced philosophy and they embraced their fellow human beings or cosmopolitans, if you will, which is is what we need to do today. Now, we can't ask our leaders to be this way, but
0: we have the choice to be that way. So, uh, you know, it's up to you to make that choice. Exactly. So now what we'll do is we'll reflect a little bit more on like the individual aspect of Stoic philosophy. and a couple a couple of phrases that just always come to mind, uh, like memento Mori, like remember we die. Uh, it's just this idea that we just make you just remember death. Death is this inescapable thing that we as all people around the world will all experience one day. We will all experience death. and it's just the one thing that is absolutely no matter what you do, Unavoidable. I mean, I, Walt Disney, I think, froze himself. He tried avoiding it. For, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's going for him. But it's it's something that kind of like roots us within this present moment to remember that we are here in this exact moment and we're going to meet the same fate as each other. So what can I do in this exact moment to b- bring some type of fulfillment? Uh, some how can I live virtuously in this time that I'm given? And also get to remember, you don't know how long of a time you have here either, right? So. I wanna talk a little bit about the idea of memento mori, how that can apply to making our lives a little bit better, and also the idea of uh Amor Fati, love fate, since you know, uh death is something that's fated, essentially, and just essentially like we have to, you know, whatever happens, happens, and we have to kind of go with that flow. So yep. you wrote a lot, you wrote a lot about that, and that's where I got all these notes from. So <laughs> if you wanted to go ahead. Sure. Um, they are absolutely, uh,
1: at the core of the, of the philosophy. Uh, and in fact, I have them, you know, tattooed on the inside of my forearms, memento mori on the right, Fati on the left. And memento mori is on my right arm on the inside where I can see it before I do anything, because I think it's the starting point. Not because, and, and you see the topic of death, it permeates stoic philosophy, whether it's, you know, suicide, your own death, other people's death, it's, it's all over the philosophy. Um, why? not because we have this morbid, perverse uh, uh, sense of humor, but, uh, you know, and and you summarize it very well, it's because we conveniently ignore that we're dying and we conveniently live as if we have 10,000 years to live, but we don't. And we don't really face this reality until we have a near-death experience or on death's door. And this is why you see so many people who have uh, had a brush with death, or have been diagnosed with something, or have beat cancer or whatever, and you see this huge change in their attitude and lifestyle. It's because they embrace memento mori. They realize, "Holy shit, I'm gonna die, and I don't know how long I have." And that recognition just changes the way you feel and think. All of a sudden, no money doesn't matter anymore. All of a sudden. No, your own pleasures don't matter anymore because, great, you know, I played games my whole life, had sexual uh, encounters and drank and did this. And then what was it all for? I got to do something else. And so it kind of focuses your attention on all the right things just in the blink of an eye. Now, embracing that is hard because as soon as you start talking about this, you get uh, queasy and it's normal. Uh, It's normal. And I still get queasy uh, when I think about my kid's death. I, I, to this day, um, you know, I've been at this for a little over a decade and I still cannot meditate on my kid's death without having a physical My heart starts racing. I get a little sick inside. You know, I get the heebie-jeebies. So I'm still tackling this. I've come to terms with, you know, my own death, uh, my wife, parents, whatever, friends. uh, But there's touchy areas where I still... uh, uh, can't get around to it, so it's not easy. But it is the starting point because, dude, it's reality. It's a for sure thing. You know the expression is there are the only two things for sure: death and taxes. No, Donald Trump. Taxes are not for sure. Uh, death <laughs> is for sure, the great equalizer. And and my favorite, I even though I'm a Stoic, one of my favorite philosophers is Diogenes of Cnidium, uh, uh, not Sidium Diogenes of Sinope. Um, he was a, he was a Cynic philosopher, notoriously savage. Uh, You might have heard of him. He's the guy that would, you know, defecate and masturbate in public. He would run around in the marketplace during the day with a lantern, run up on people and say, are you an honest person? Um, He was was so savage. You know, one of my favorite quotes, he says, I pissed on the guy that called me a dog. Now, why was he surprised? You know, Um, so there's a story of him with Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was a huge fan of Diogenes. And let's not forget Alexander the Great's mentor was the great Aristotle. So the fact that the Alexander the Great still uh, revered Diogenes as the philosopher says, says a lot. And so one day uh, he visited Diogenes on multiple occasions and on one of his visits, he gets to Diogenes and he sees Diogenes just digging through this pile of human bones. And Alexander's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, oh, are you okay? Like what's up? And the is like, "Oh, I'm just digging through these bones to find uh, that of your father, but I can't differentiate them from the slaves." The great equalizer, death. So it it it, it puts into perspective what's important. It puts into perspective the value of time, because we really throw things away. Like anyone, anyone who watches reality TV knows they're just looking for something to mind uh, to numb the mind and waste time. Anyone, but I used to do it. You know, uh, uh, 10 years ago, I was, I would get home after a long day's work. and be like, I deserve a scotch and, um, you know, half a bottle of scotch. I wasn't getting wasted because it was expensive scotch. I was classy. Uh, but, you know, I, I was just trying to waste time uh, to, so I can make it back to work the next day. But what a waste of time, you know, like it's poof, it's gone. So the concept to remember here, I think the important point, there is no death, final death. The final death is just your final day. Every day is death. And every day must be treated as a gift. Um, and then we move on to uh, 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 amor fati, uh, love fate. Um, by the way, memento mori translates into uh, remember death. But just if anyone was wondering, amor fati translates loosely into love fate. Um, we, we touched up on this earlier on, so I won't spend too much time on this. But th- there is only one reality, and reality doesn't change. So uh, for a Stoic, wishes and hopes. And fears all fall in the same category. They are false projections of what could be and and, and and false imagination of what reality might be. But at the end of the day, there is only one reality. There's only this. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening around me because none of it, no matter how tragic, is inside my squishy bits pulling levers and making me make decisions. You know, If someone slaps me across the face... That's already in the past. Even though it might have taken a millisecond for it to register in my brain, it's already done and it's in the past. It's part of reality. It happened. Now it's up to me whether I want to use that to justify hitting this guy over the head with a two by four or whether I want to uh, lead by example because I know an eye for an eye will make the world go blind. So stoicism is not passivity and it's not being uh, weak. In fact, anyone who's forgiven knows forgiveness takes a lot more strength than responding in kind or escalating. So for us Stoics, uh, hopes and fear, uh, wishes and anxieties, they're they are all the same because they're false realities. They're false projections of realities in the future. Uh, uh, we focus on what is actually happening and we're indifferent to this. Uh, again, nothing external goes inside my squishy bits and pulls levers to make me make decisions. I'm the one in control of this. Um, If someone slaps me across the face, uh, it's by the time my brain registers this, even though it might take a few milliseconds, that's already in the past, okay? And now it's up to me to choose in this present moment how to respond to this reality. Um, Do I want to hit them over the head with a two by four? Or do I want to remember and recognize that an eye for an eye will make the world go blind? And so do I choose to respond with kindness and compassion, turn the other cheek as it were? Um, so Amor Fati, uh, accepting fate, is, is not about passivity. Um, you know, if there's justice to be sought, uh, or rather if there's justice to be had, justice should be sought. If there is something to be protected, it should be protected. Um, you know, uh, people think stoicism is all about like rolling over and giving up. No, no, quite the opposite. It's a conscious, rational decision of what the best response is. And even though the monkey brain wants to pick up a bigger stick and hit harder, the rational mind, if you were not in that particular situation and you are writing about this stuff, you would come to the same conclusion that, well, no, there are better ways to respond. And so through a practice, a Stoic hopefully can respond in a better way. Or even if you can't, at least recognizing you are wrong and then going back to try and remedy the situation. Uh, these are the type of things to try and do. So Amarfati, um not so much rejection of... Uh, um, reality of negative things like i don't want to pretend this i want to pretend this didn't happen it's the opposite it's embracing the negative with the positive uh because this is my reality the same universal reason that gave me life and consciousness made this thing happen somebody might call it a tragedy i don't this is
0: this just happening so what's the best decision i can make going forward exactly and uh, i was just thinking so two two big quotes that i've kind of like grown up just i've I've picked up and just was like holy shit what does this mean and then now like understanding like where it comes from and what it actually represents is super important to me and i remember from the first kung fu panda movie funny enough right (laughs) the the one i've never forgotten this quote uh, because i usually hate quotes but this is uh yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery but today is a gift that's why we call it the present and it just has like a lot of like really fancy like wording and it just really makes sense right like Yet whatever happened yesterday, you cannot go back and change. You don't know what the hell is going to happen tomorrow, but today is guaranteed right now. You are in this moment and it is precious and you have to take advantage of that. So I think that's kind of like, that's, you can see some kind of stoic philosophy in a quote like that. And uh, I'm a huge metalhead, So I had to throw this in Um, Iron Maiden. They are, I, I love bands that talk about history and they just incorporate all these really cool things. And in their seventh studio album, they, Uh, seventh son of the seventh son they have a song called the clairvoyant and there's a phrase that they say they say as soon as you're born you're dying and then it goes into a crazy solo and i always i'm like as soon as you're born you're as soon as you're you're dying from the second you're born you really are and it and it makes you just realize how how short life can be or just how unexpected and just unsure and it's 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 just really and that's a little bit of like stoicism in there and it's just really cool to see that and uh just kind of like going forward also um you know we have to all learn as people that like we we, our whole entire path is not paved out for us and that we need to be very we should be happy with the moment that we're given today and you know we can hope for uh, tomorrow and we should be thankful for a tomorrow and I think that's kind of like the whole lesson with the memento mori going forward, right? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So because you can go to sleep tonight with your eyes closed, never open them again, and you'll never know.
1: So, so one thing, if I can throw in there, um yeah. the 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 kung fu panda thing, I, I, I love it, and I said all the time, the present is a present. That's why it's called the present. Um, but as Stoics, we focus more literally in the present moment and and not day. Um, because things that just happened again even if it's a few milliseconds it's in the past but uh, what i want to mention here is there's a huge overlap between uh eastern philosophy and western philosophy at this time and ironically enough they were not written that far apart from one another uh, and you'll notice on my especially i think my second book i quote a lot the tao te ching you No, know, i have a lot of Lao Tzu quotes in there um they are very similar in approach it's it's uh, this is reality. This is the present. The, the past is the past is part of your reality too. Uh, the future is not because it hasn't happened yet. But right now is what you can control. And yourself is the only thing you can control, not other things. So focus on that. So a um, lot, a lot of overlap between Buddhism and Stoicism. Uh, excuse me, not Buddhism. Uh, Buddhism is a uh, theist. I'm very anti-theist. I Speak a lot to the Buddha Dharma, which is Buddha's teachings, because based on my understanding of the Buddha Dharma, uh Buddha would be appalled by what Buddhism has become, um, because he too was very much uh, anti-theist. He was he very much was you know spirituality is subjective to the individual, and you don't need you know a, 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 a structure and a temple and and whatever religious doctrine for that. But no, I'm trailing off, so please go ahead
0: no no so it's 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 good to get these like these examples are really critical i mean especially as an educator myself one thing that we have to always be aware of is that people learn differently and i think personally just giving examples and painting like you said before painting pictures we are very visual uh, humans can be very typically visual learners and i'm a really big one so you gave an example of the ship of theseus in your book and i thought it was an excellent example and a great way to self-reflect on who we actually are because a lot of people um i would this is me getting a little philosophical a little uh social uh, critique of society and culture right now but um we are very superficial currently um i would say that people are more worried about their looks their brand name clothing essentially the um you know infection of capitalism and things like that but what this argues is something very different, the actual you, you know, because I may post a picture on Instagram and people may be, oh, yep, that's definitely Tom. But, you know, you, if you look at a picture from me from 15 years ago, that's also Tom. But there's one aspect of that version of Tom that doesn't change. And that's the inner self. And I think that's one of the, where you're really bringing out this, this example really clarifies that. So if you want to actually uh, dig into it, what you meant and how you explain it.
1: Sure. So the, the ship of thesis and in philosophy, you know, in science, when you do experiments, you have, you know, uh, lab experiments and, and, and fixed results and whatever, uh, empirical results. In philosophy, you can't do that. There's no test tube for, for thought. So we do thought experiments. OK. Uh, and what's amazing is using thought experiments, you can come to conclusions uh, that modern science uh, will have to catch up to, you know, years later, which is why there are so many things that we're proving empirically in modern science today that the ancient Greeks knew 3000 years ago, right? People get, get, their minds get blown. Like, how did they know about this? How did they know about, how did this? Uh, thought experiments. So this thought experiment I, I used to uh, uh, get the reader to understand the duality within. Cause when I say duality within people start either like, man, I'm not, I'm not schizo. Like, come on, get out of here. Or uh, I don't believe in a soul, right? I, it's atheists. Uh, I used to be an atheist too. And as an atheist, you believe in the physical point period finale. And so I'll challenge atheists now with this simple mental exercise of the ship of Theseus, and and here's how it goes. So Theseus was a mythical uh, legend that found the sea of Athens, and he had this real badass uh, battleship that he fought the Titans with. And when he passed, uh, the citizens of Athens decided, you know, let's keep this ship in, in pristine condition so that posterity can visit uh, the mythical ship of Theseus. All right, cool. So the ship is floating there in the harbor and you know after a few years with the salt water and the sun rays a, a plank goes, gets wrong so they say okay let's replace it because we want to keep it in pristine posi- in shape and the carpenter takes off this uh board puts in a new one in the exact same position in the exact same shape just to repair the ship at this point is it still the ship of theseus most people would say yeah right it's just one plank but then you uh uh go down the the, the timeline and a few more planks got replaced and maybe a rope, is it still the ship of Theseus, considering that they're all placed in the exact same way, in the exact same place? It's just repairs and maintenance, right? So you're going to say, yeah. Then we go forward and now a majority of the ship has been replaced. You go forward in time and now the entire ship has been replaced, but one by one, not all at once, it wasn't a new ship that was built, piece by piece it was replaced in the exact same way, in the exact same shape. Is it still the ship of Theseus. Some people will say no. Some people will say yes. Now, I can further complicate this and say, now imagine this whole time when this ship was being replaced piece by piece, a purist was collecting each old piece, rotten piece, and rebuilt the ship on land, Okay. So now, is that the ship of Theseus, or the one that's floating in the water? That's an actual ship that can float, the ship of Theseus. Do you have two, or do you have none? There's no right answer. The, the the point of this mental exercise is to demonstrate that what we label as things is kind of detached from the physical, or, or rather, it becomes subjective. And so, when you apply that to yourself, um, you know, we look in the mirror throughout our lives, and we see. And I and I like your example of pictures on social media. It comes to the same thing. But when you when you look at yourself in the mirror throughout the years, we age. You know, you're you're at first you start growing hair, and then you start losing hair, and you know, you, you might. Uh, uh, you know, your ears might start growing this way and that way. You might go through a tragic accident and lose limbs. Whatever happens to you physically, right? Um, You're still you. You self-identify as me when you look into the mirror, which uh, proves beyond the shadow of a doubt, there's something more than the physical. And that something more is what we focus on. Uh, It's that something more that's the consciousness, the higher self. You can call this the rational mind, the consciousness, the soul, the spirit, uh, call it a tomato, call it whatever you want. It's that something more that we have to try and tap into. And what I say, I'd talk about in my second book, my second book is entirely about uh, managing the something more and then the animal brain and how you can uh, better deal with that annoying roommate that is the primitive mind. Uh, because we can't get away from it, we can't shut it off, we have to kind of work with it. Um, and, and uh it's a matter of tapping into that something more. So spirituality becomes the development of this something more. It's not a matter of uh, you know, going to a church or praying or meditating. It's a matter of just like you work out your muscles at the gym, you have to work out this something more to strengthen it. And you know, if you want to call it a spirit. And you know, spirituality is developing it. If you want to call this something more a tomato, then tomatoism is what you should be doing. Whatever you want to call it, uh, that's what Stoicism taps into.
0: Yeah. So it's so it is really this 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 idea. I, I I like the idea of this duality, and people people just tend to forget that. And you know, I'm like I said, I'm just you know, as a historian, I study a lot of culture. I love seeing how culture has shaped and developed, and. As of right now, I'm very upset with just kind of where culture in general has gone. I feel like there's been a lot of digression and there's a lot, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical, but uh, um, for my historical analysis specifically, but people are losing sight of what's important. Um, people don't know what is important. And, you know, it's it's just really sad to see that people value inanimate objects, um, you know, shopping items, uh, brand name, it's just people would, you know, people wait on lines for days to get an iPhone 12. You know, no one waits, you know, no one go, more, more people do that than go and help out a soup kitchen or just, eat, you know, and it's only like a few hours of your time volunteering, just small things like that. It's just so amazing to me that it's actual, that's just how we are today. And then these people, these are the same people that go online and they'll then talk like, Oh, you you know, I'm I'm so tired of seeing people, you know, treat each other this way or that way, or and I it just really it really just blows my mind. It just really truly just blows my mind. And I think by when I went through your book, it really helped. I've also I've gone on a personal journey. The reason why this kind of like means so much to me personally is that recently, uh last year in 2019, I was actually in a car accident. Um, and I sustained permanent injuries, and not a lot of people know about it. And I was just going through, I was going through grad. I was about to finish grad school, working two jobs, like moving out, like I had all this stuff going on and all of a sudden, boom, and then you start, and then you, this, this pain sets in and you have pain every day now. And it's the new normal. And for a long time, I thought, I'm like, my life is ruined. I'm never going to be the same. And then I really had to think that I had to really process that despite the, I just have to, I've never stopped being who I was. And I just now have this physical thing that I need to deal with mentally. And it made, once I realized that I never left, I was always there. I'm still always here and I'll always be here until I'm not that, you know, whatever physical changes happen, like even going bald, I've run into, I've run into people that I've known for 10 years. And then they've seen me, once they saw me bald, they're like, holy shit. I didn't even, I can't imagine, like, and now I can't even see you with hair. So it's, and I've just experienced these things and it makes you really feel that, you know, you are you, who you are, and that's it. And that's what your book does. It helps to bring that out and help us rationalize this idea for ourselves that we are not going to, you know, we will not be. You are who you are, despite you physically changing. Um, you may even emotionally change, or the people around you might change, your surroundings might change, but you will always be this person, this rational being who is capable of, you know, these gr- doing great things and achieving greatness, and ultimately, you know searching for like human truth and what is the truth on how li- to live a good, virtuous life. And I think that's ultimately, I guess, what like listeners should be pulling from this. This is the actual lesson I had. I may have gone through this Stoicism lesson without even necessarily knowing it. So I think that's kind of like the key, at least what I've learned about learning about Stoicism and how I've applied it within my life. And I told you before we got started that, I already started applying it to my life. And I've realized that I've already have a little bit of stoicism in me that I try to be rational when I make decisions and I'm trying to not get angry when someone wrongs me and, you know, be the better, you know, the bigger person learn from it and, you know, lead by example. And I mean, I've, you know, we all have shortcomings, like you said, I, you know, I definitely fail at it sometimes, but it, every day is a, a, it's a journey. You're, you're going on this journey every day. You need to set out with the hopes that, you know, I will do better today than I did the other day. And just kind of like swim your way out of that, that murky water, hopefully getting to the top and bringing some people up or inspiring some people on your way up. They see you like, oh my God, look, Anderson, he's almost almost at the top. I got to catch up. So, I mean, that's kind of like what I've taken out of all of this. I mean, I'm not sure how on point or on target I am, but uh, that's just the lesson I've learned.
1: (laughs) It's pretty spot on. I mean, look, again, we were talking about how philosophy is a guide for, li- is a guide for life. Um, if I may quote uh, Nietzsche, you know, he's, he, he was, poor Nietzsche. He, he, there's three things about him that people think that is absolutely wrong. Uh, one, they thought he was a Nazi, which he was not. He was very much against Nazis. I mean, it was his sister that uh, gave up his stuff to the Nazis after he lost his mind. Um, uh, two, he had the most badass mustache. And uh, three, he said, God is dead. It's one of his famous quotes that people know. And people immediately think he's like, ah, yeah, atheism for the win. Uh, Quite the opposite. Nietzsche was very worried about this. Uh, And and this is where the name, uh, thus spoke, Zarathustra came from, because Zoroastrianism is like an early form of uh, uh, Christian-type religion that was in in, where present day Iran is. And what he was saying by this is, we killed God. And now with religion gone, that has given individuality to people for, you know, 1700 years, people are not going to have an individuality anymore. And he was worried Uh, a few years later, you know, uh, Kierkegaard comes in and he does a lot of work on individualism uh, and where do you find individuality? And a lot of these uh, uh, philosophers from 200 years ago, very accurately predicted where we would be today. And how this material consumption uh, would lead us to live, uh, um, uh, lead us to self isolation, uh, which is what we do today. What do you do? You go to work, you punch in, you punch out, and then you hide in your jail cell that you've self uh, created—your apartment or your house—and you hide in there, and you know you you uh, ail your uh, aches and pains mentally with wine, drugs uh, you know, a duck dynasty on TV, whatever, whatever's your poison, uh, just to be able to recuperate, to go do it again the next day. So, um, it, it's tough. Now, uh, if I take a step back at a very high level, we're doing great. You know, any philosopher, if Marcus Aurelius were to be here today, or, you know, if he poof appeared, he'd look around and say, good job humanity. Like we, we made it, you know, it's a lot less famine. There's a lot less, you know, until this pandemic happened, there were no plagues, you know, it's, we're crushing it, all right. Um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We live better uh, now, a- almost all of us, than most kings did in-, in the history of the world. You know what I mean? Um, however, however, there is a huge uh, gap uh, in in how we identify ourselves today, and and I believe it. Ha- this is one of the reasons why nationalism is kind of peaking its ugly head it's re- rearing its ugly head again uh it's like 100 years ago you know it's kind of happening again you see uh, nationalistic platforms all over the world it's because people don't know what to identify themselves with and what's my purpose what am i doing here so they're like my country's my purpose yeah go country you know everybody who's not from my country get out of my country it's happening everywhere not just in the states and in, in south america and europe um so I think philosophy, we desperately need more of it. I wish this is something that would be taught in school. Uh, when I look at my kid's curriculum, there's so much crap in there that's useless. Philosophy would go such a long way to help us not just be more balanced individuals, uh, and not just make more sense of the world around us, uh, not just help with mental health issues, but to give ourselves a sense of purpose. And uh, this is why I chose to write my uh, first book because it's a three book series. And the first one is about finding your purpose. And I guide the reader through finding their own purpose because anyone that tells you what the purpose of life is is a snake oil salesman. There's no one answer. We all come from different walks of life. We all have different realities. Uh, You know, we're just talking about being objective and trying to see things from other people's perspectives. It would be ludicrous for someone to some moral, uh, someone to stand on some moral high ground and say, you should be doing this because this is the, nah, everyone's got their own thing. So uh, what I do is I help the reader kind of, one, recognize the shortness of life, the fragility, uh, recognize that we're all one and the same, that we're all human beings, no matter what divide there is, we all want the same thing. None of us are bad people. We just have different definitions of what's good. And, uh, and then I help p- uh, the reader identify through steps I have steps in the in the back in the last chapter of, of how to find your purpose because uh, again to quote Nietzsche I, as you can tell I love this guy too uh, he who has a why can endure any how so uh, that's a very important starting point
0: definitely I mean I, I just have to I have to just say really quick uh workers of the world unite you have <laughs> nothing to lose but your chains no it's just just me me or just joking around but um I feel you know when it comes to like talking about things like this, like, so like, take example, socialism, right? It is, it's this, this global unity of people. It's this idea that everybody is equal, right? And um, like you were just saying, unfortunately the systems that we currently function under, there's a lot of these ideas that um, people are struggling with these forms of identity. And I see it on social media. I hate social media. If I didn't have to promote a podcast, I I probably wouldn't use it. And it's, I'm just so tired of seeing people, you know, go, you know, despite the pandemic, going to fancy restaurants to Instagram their dinner and just show people where they are and show them who they're with. And then next week they're not with that person and they're complaining about it. And it's just, it's just, people are just like losing sight of the actual thing, like self-reflection and just learning about themselves. And they just put themselves in these situations where they're just becoming more miserable and they're just, it's it's terrible. And I, I'm really upset with it. And one, uh, two philosophers that I know, Adorno and Horkheimer, I'm a huge fan yep, of. Yep. And the, uh, their idea of this, like, um, cookie cutter culture where, you know, you go to, you go to Walmart and you think like, wow, look at all these great items I can choose from. But realistically, you're only shopping from what Walmart is offering you. And you know, you're, you're very limited based on what p- people are selling you culture. Same thing with music. And it's, all of this stuff is being given to you and making you think that you need it. And I always joke around with my sister when we go shopping, she'll like put something like I know she's not going to ever use in the shopping cart. And I'm like, do you really need that? And she's like, no, but I want it. I'm like, yeah, but do you need it? You know, like, it, 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 I like to just like tease and joke. And then, and then I always get into like my spiel about like Adorno and all of them. But, but really, like, I, you know, you are conditioned to think like, oh, you need you need this shampoo, you need this conditioner, you need to use this product for this, you need to use this and oh yeah you have to wear this shirt when you go here and you have to wear this belt and only these shoes and those socks together. And it just, there's no, there isn't, an, there is no individuality. No, I, and and this I, is- I would argue, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I agree, and this is
1: where uh, Diogenes comes in, and, and uh, he was protesting this. And, and this is happening two and a half thousand years ago, so it's not unique to us. So when I talk about modern days, I, I include the ancient Greeks and Romans too, because after you know the agricultural revolution when we settled down and we started owning shit, we've kind of been having to deal with the same stuff to varying degrees. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one interesting point about Stoicism I should point out is, as a Stoic. So the cynics were older brothers, right? Xenocidium was trained by a cynic, uh, a crates. And um, we, just like the cynics, accept that this entire construct is fictitious, okay? Um, You know, the example I love using is, uh, what is a company? It's a fictitious construct. We all just agree like, all right, yeah, this is a company, this collection of people in this building, and this piece of paper is gonna represent one 10 millionth of this company, and I'm gonna sell it in this, make-believe marketplace because yeah other people agree someone's going to buy this from me okay uh, it's all fictitious but why do we not protest against it well because i can't change that and uh, what i can do is i can change one or two people here and there through conversation and so we actively participate in this fictitious construct uh not to excel in it but to help others along and and the example i like to use is it's like playing a board game as a parent that you absolutely hate just to help your kids play it and, and, and get along the game more. So this, this is kind of when I, when we we're talking about before about how Stoics took a political office to help the people, this is what we're talking about, right? Uh, myself, I didn't give up, uh, working my job. Uh, instead I'm changing things from the inside. Um, yeah, my colleagues at my level will, you know, uh, uh scoff at me because they're like well if you if you give that liberty to your staff then we have to do it on our end and blah 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 I'm like you do you this is how I want to treat my staff because they're human beings and they're my equals um you know so so this is the approach of a stoic. Um, one more pertinent example if I may uh, use about trying to see things objectively uh, you're talking about socialism and capitalism you know yes, I'm, I'm Canadian and I'm, I'm more socialist of course um and when I get into these debates with people, I actually end up defending socialism and capitalism and libertarianism because I believe in all three. I don't believe, you know, just because I believe in one thing doesn't mean everything else is wrong. No, you have to look at every, If people believe on the other side, there has to be a reason. Uh, we could do a whole episode on this. I'm not gonna waste time here. why each one has good points, but they each have very good points and not there, there's no one right answer. And I guess it's very stoic of me to be kind of a middle ground here to find that one point in the Venn diagram where everything overlaps. But uh, this is what being a good human being is all about. And this is how we uh, you know a lot of people ask me, how do we bridge the divide that we have today? How do we it's it's just by first and foremost, recognizing that the person opposed to you is not opposed to you. They don't there's no reason to hate them. They just have their own version of stuff. and, try to understand their version of stuff. And if they try to understand your version of stuff, I guarantee you 99.9% of the time, you guys are going to come to a mutual agreement. You just have to have a discourse.
0: And that, and that's the most important thing, conversation. And that's why, you know, I started this podcast specifically to, because I always felt that, you know, I really, I want, I'm so passionate about educating people. And because I know that I was enlightened through education and I could have been a completely different person if I didn't go along the path I was on and I couldn't see myself going any other way. and. I've just realized that sometimes you as, as hard as you try to educate people, you cannot, you know, as what, what's the what's the quote? You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And I've really internalized that. And so what I'm trying to do now is to adjust my style to more educate by example, by just express these things, show this information, talk about these issues, have people, if they want to listen, they can listen, ask questions. I please I encourage questions I encourage discussion and I encourage you to express your thoughts I like sometimes my family keeps talking to me because I I, it always ends up into some type of conversation where I want to know about why they think that I ask them why do you think this way and I I dig deeper and people just like sometimes they'll just like cut you off like I don't you know too much I don't want to I don't want to get political i ran out of propaganda yeah (laughs) but really so so Anderson what's the one thing if you wanted to leave listeners behind with something valuable, something to learn about Stoic philosophy, one lesson, cr- one crucial piece of information that they need to know?
1: Sure. Um, uh, and I'll put a asterisk on this because, so my books are not Stoic philosophy books. They are my philosophy, which is heavily dominated by Stoicism. Uh, and so here's a thought I want to leave them with, which is not necessarily a Stoic thing, but um, I would ask your listeners to honestly and consciously and conscientiously challenge themselves and ask yourself, are you living the life you want to live? Are you doing what you want to do? Or are you just doing things because you were told to or others are doing it or because you don't know any better? Ask yourself this question and it could be the beginning of a very fruitful journey.
0: Awesome. I mean, actually, you know, it's funny enough. I have a couple of mentees um, in graduate school that I helped to mentor and guide them along. And I just had a conversation just on that the other day because she was like, you know, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, and I'm going to be a historian. And I was like, hey, listen, if that's if that's what you want to do, that's it. You can't you can't live your life by other people's desires. We have to internalize that and ultimately go forward with that. Make we can bring about change as long as we can bring about that change within ourselves and recognize that.
1: So also awesome. to, to quote Atticus from, uh, to kill a mockingbird, which uh, everybody should be reading right now, mm-hmm. uh, before you live with anyone else, you have to live with yourself.
0: And that's one thing that I think people nowadays struggle with, <laughs> but you know, that's, we can talk about that another time, but Anderson, thank you so much having you on here talking about philosophy. It's not an easy task. It's not a short task either, And we got through it pretty well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to do a follow-up on a deeper dive on certain topics.
0: Absolutely. So uh, go ahead and please, uh, where can we find your books, your writings, anything?
1: Sure. So uh, as I mentioned, I have three books out there. Your user's manual, your duality within, your dichotomy of control. Um, They're kind of a high-level overview of Stoic philosophy, my philosophy. Um, But um, it's going to be a lot easier to plug my stuff now because as of two weeks ago, we have a website now uh, Stoicismforabetterlife.com. That's Stoicismforabetterlife.com. All my articles, all my weekly exercises. Weekly exercises. These are little stoic tidbits that you can apply in your daily life uh, right away. Simple stuff. Um, so all my weekly exercises, all my podcast episodes, my podcast uh, series, Stoicism for a Better Life. Uh, they're five to seven minute episodes. Uh, again, stoic bits of wisdom and exercises you can do right away in your life um and links to my books links to my all my social media i'm on all the platforms uh, including even tiktok now thanks to my daughter uh you can find me anywhere if you want to ask questions um you can even send emails directly all of this is on stoicismforabetterlife.com
0: awesome awesome and i mean i can vouch for i mean i read i read the two books and i'm looking forward for the third one and uh just from that point on you know We'll end it here and uh, we'll definitely look to do a little bit more work. uh, Hopefully within the future. Sounds great, man. If we have tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Anderson. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the get informed podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to drop a follow at get informed PC on Twitter at get informed podcast on Instagram and Facebook and leave comments, likes, And, uh, you know, any concerns that you may have, anything that you want to hear to improve the show, just let me know. I'm open to it all. And until then, stay informed.